If you're looking for a podcast for great gift ideas for under 50 cents... (laughs) Tell us where to find it. (laughs) Yes, because we don't do that, and we don't know any (laughs) of any. I mean, I guess you could make them in your house, but... You know, homemade stuff, but well, know, still supplies. The supplies cost more probably than cost more than than fifty cents. Plus, my precious, precious time. Exactly. Uh, this is, however, comedy, tragedy, marriage. marriage. Welcome to Comedy Tragedy Marriage, a podcast where a couple married thirty-five years takes turns each episode selecting a movie, TV show, or documentary to watch. We watch it together, and then we sit down and talk about why we love it, like it, or not so much. <laughs> I am Stan the Movie Man. I review films at StanTheMovieMan.com. You can follow me on Twitter, at MovieManStan. You can follow the podcast, at CT Marriage. Uh, You can uh, send us an email, comedytragedymarriage at gmail.com, and you can send us a voice message simply by clicking the link in the description of this episode. Joining me, as always, is uh, the greatest gift I ever received for this holiday season and every season. It's my other half. Uh, Maud the sing-songy broad. Okay. Sing-songy. All right. We'll figure that out eventually. Well, because the movie title is... All right. Well, you know that because you clicked on this episode. It's a a, a carol, carol for, for another, another Christmas. Christmas. And it was your choice this week. It was my choice to pick. Um, and as I was bouncing around the interwebs recently, um, I think that I was doing a search for variations on Scrooge or variations on um, Dickens, A Christmas Carol. Mm-hmm. And this very interesting thing popped up. And I'm like, hmm, I have not heard of this before. Right. I have not seen this before. It was. It's called Carol, A uh, Carol for Another Christmas. Um, it, it is a 1964 American television movie. Um, it was first broadcast on ABC on December 28th, 1964, when I was but a mere babe in arms. Yes. Um, written by Rod Serling, which should tell you something right mm-hmm. there, mm-hmm. Um, and um, produced and directed by Joseph L. Mankiewicz. Now, um, this movie was not shown again after its first broadcast for um, 48 years until Turner Classic Movies broadcast it on on December 16th, 2012. Um, we found it on IMDb. No, it's on HBO Max. We found it on HBO. It may be on other places, but we subscribed to HBO Max. So that's that was, where we streamed it. That was the first search that came up. Um, the movie stars an ensemble cast featuring Sterling Hayden as um, protagonist, antagonist, um, Daniel Grudge. We also see Ben Gazzara as his nephew, Fred. Um, Pat Hingle, Steve Lawrence, Percy Rodriguez, Eva Marie Saint, Peter Sellers, Robert Shaw, James Shigeta, Barbara Antier, and Britt Eklund um, round out this um, this cast of characters. Um, it is it is a loose, very loose, very. Um, 
refashioning of the Scrooge Christmas Carol ghost of Christmas past present and Christmas yet to come mm-hmm. um, with a decidedly different um, different approach yes shall we say yes so go ahead and say well uh, Serling was um, outspoken in his uh, belief uh, that the, the the downtrodden needed to be supported and the dictators need to be washed away and and he was very anti-war um, and uh, of course he had that sort of dark turn that uh, led to you know the Twilight Zone mm. and also uh, later on uh, a, a series called Night Gallery. Which, I remember Night Gallery freaking me out when I was a kid. scared me endlessly. I yeah. still remember vividly a couple of the stories on Night Gallery. Yeah, pretty creepy. But in this one, he is expressing his anti-war views quite vociferously. Um, yes, it's, um, of course, premiering in 1964... Um, there is there's a very much Cold War kind of spin to it. Right. Um, there's the the antagonist Daniel Grudge um, has lost a son mm-hmm. named Marley mm-hmm. to war. That's when I knew what was going. That's happen. when you knew what was up. <laughs> um, you're like cousin Fred didn't immediately or nephew, nephew Fred. Fred didn't immediately uh, set off the alarm bells, but. but Son Marley did. Son Marley certainly did. Um, In fact, we were sitting here viewing this last night, and and first of all, you're like, have you seen this before? And I'm like, nope. Where'd you find it? Well, I was bouncing around the interwebs, and this sounded interesting. Found it on a search. And then um, the son Marley is mentioned, and you're like, oh, I got it. Here we go. Here we go. Um, Daniel Grudge as a result of his his grief and and mourning the loss of his son and and maybe he had these isolationist views before i don't right. know but we we hear the quote staying on our side of the fence a lot yes we hear um a lot of you know i'll mind mine you mind yours we got no business here mm-hmm. um that kind of isolationist um, rhetoric. Um, now, the nephew Fred is very much um, true to the nephew Fred in the other tellings of the Scrooge tale that we've seen before. He's um, he's a glass half full person. He is a Merry Christmas in spite of you, you old cranky bastard person. <laughs> um, and he's he's very much the not the wide-eyed optimist I'd say but he's he, he has an open heart he is uh, somebody in this world that believes in the power of talking to our enemies in negotiating in finding a compromise common ground common ground uh, whereas grudge um, who, of course, is playing the Ebenezer Scrooge role. Um, he's, um, we need to build bigger bombs and faster missiles. And not let them and, know we're chicken to use them. And make sure they know we're not afraid to use them. Yeah. Um, 
while at the same time staying on our side of the fence. Um, but we we shouldn't have been involved in World War One. We shouldn't have been involved in you know. Um, but if we hadn't dropped that bomb in Japan, you know, yes. blah blah blah. Half a million Americans and millions of Japanese would have died. would have died. Um, it, and I think his son. They don't say it, but with the timeline, I think his son died in Korea. Possibly, yeah, that makes the most sense because um, Grudge was actually a soldier during World War Two. He was in the Navy. He um, was a commander, I think. And we see him in a vignette of Christmas Past, looking, um, looking back upon himself, and um, a Navy wave played beautifully by Eva Marie Saint. Mm -hmm. um, in Hiroshima. Yes, after the bomb right has dropped. Right after the bomb has dropped, and they visit um, a... This little makeshift hospital. That's exactly the word I was thinking, was makeshift hospital. And um, hearing hearing the beautiful voices of little Japanese children who have no faces left because of flash burns from the bomb, mm -hmm. and they're, you know, laying in this makeshift hospital all bandaged up, just waiting to die. Yes. Um, um, and he's oblivious to the after effects of a nuclear blast and the fallout and the uh, damage, the long-term damage, literal that fallout radiation. And, yeah, literal fallout well, and yeah. um, uh, The radiation fallout. is uh, going to cause to these people. He mentioned something about... You know, we did this to protect their children, and the doctor gets a little... The doctor's, what children? Yeah, there yeah. won't be any children. Um, he... Okay, first off, there's this big confrontation at his mansion. Um, and the first character we see on the screen is his uh, African-American um, butler. Yeah. Um, and... The first confrontation is with Fred at the house where uh, Grudge has gotten, has put the kibosh on uh, a uh, professor from their college uh, going to Poland, Krakow, and then a uh, Krakow, Poland professor from their college coming to America. For, for a cultural exchange. Cultural for exchange. A year. And. Um, he apparently owns a university, or he's a major <laughs> well, trustee a, in a university. Or he's a major donor. He's, yeah, he's not on the board, but, but he what he says goes He controls the board, the board so and, he's a man of means And he and has power. managed to, to put the brakes on that, and that's what Fred comes to see Yeah, because about. Fred is also a, 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 a professor. professor at the college or university in question. Uh, something about 18th century literature, so how much of a, of a communist spy could he be? That's what... That's what Grudge is implying about the the Krakow um, professor. Yeah, that he's, he's, a, he's a he's a communist spy. Yeah, um, Grudge to me seems very true to the Scroogely spirit. Um, granted, with a Cold War twist, but he like he, he he hates everything. He hates everybody. He doesn't trust anybody. Every's everybody's trying to work an angle. Yes, and everybody is trying to live off the system. Yes. Um, the League of Nations and the United Nations are mentioned prominently several different times, mm -hmm. and he 
doesn't seem to hasn't think much that use they, for those. No, the, the uh, talk, talk, talk. All mm -hmm. they want to do is talk, talk, mm -hmm. talk, talk. We need to just build great big weapons and you know put our money where our mouth is. Build that wall. Build that wall. Build there's, those bombs. There's plenty of of things in this film that still relate today. Oh God. Um, it's kind of scary. I actually, um, granted, this is all through. Um, Serling wrote this story very much through a Cold War mm -hmm. lens mm -hmm. because it was 1964. Oh, it was that was the height of it. Cuban Missile Crisis had happened. Mm -hmm. All of you know, it was you know the Berlin Wall. All of that. We were beginning to ramp up in Vietnam. Yeah. Um, or it was probably prior to the official buildup of troops, but we had advisors there. So yeah. Um, so yeah, things were already cooking mm -hmm. in that part of the world, and they were they were cooking everywhere in yeah, the world. Yeah. And a lot of what was cooking was very very bad. The whole domino theory about you know if this country in this part of the world becomes communist, then that will spread to another country and another country and another country, and then pretty soon all the dominoes have fallen and we're surrounded by communists. Mm -hmm. That was the big fear at the time. Yeah. Um, I will say that, yes, agreeing with some of the critics of the time, um, yes, the storytelling here is a bit heavy-handed. Um, bit preachy. Bit preachy. Um, but also, as you said, and as I said last night, remarkably prescient. Yeah. And frighteningly, if I had watched this movie at this time last year, this would have sent me over an edge. <laughs> I mean, I would have been, you know, running for railroad tracks and waiting down, laying down, waiting for the train to come hit me. Yeah, it is. It is not. It's not too far removed from the kinds of isolationist rhetoric that we have heard in the last few years and the playing upon fear. Yes, um, and that gets played up even more when we go to the future, but that's for later on. Yes, yes. Um, here's one of the problems I have uh, with this version of A Christmas Carol. There is... You know, even when, even when uh, Tiny Tim in Dickens' tale is shown in the present, he's you know he's uh, using the crutch. If you know whatever, he probably uses a crutch. You know, it's probably mentioned in in the book too. Yeah, but um, you should really read the book. It's a quick read and it's wonderful. I, I should. Um, he's a little tiny point of light in this awful man's story. Yes. Um, and exposing Ebenezer, Ebenezer Scrooge to that light begins his transformation. Um, and I think it also speaks back to him looking at his youth when he... When he was a lonely schoolboy. Well, more when... His girl, his fiance, left him because he was more in love with making money than he was in being a partner. Yeah. So his chance to be a father went away. So that there, there may be some connection between those two points. 
Um, but there's there's no light. There's no no even the tiniest bit of happiness in this movie. No, this is grim. And for me, the Tiny Tim analog um, in this film, if there is one to be found, um, is portrayed in Christmas Future, um, the only child we see. Other than the ones in Japan. Other than the ones in Japan, and we don't really see them. They're all wrapped in gauze. Well, there is the little boy, because yeah, yeah, where yeah. they are uh, in Hiroshima is uh, where his sister's school had been. Had been. Of course, and they died in the him. blast, and the little boy comes, and he's he's laying down on the rubble, crying their names. Yeah, um, that's true. And he actually, and Grudge actually consoles him, but in the very sort of stiff military way. Yeah. Um, so, you know, that is one one hundredth of you know what you get from Tiny Tim in um, in A Christmas Carol. Well, and the other child we see has a gun. Has a gun. <laughs> uh, and again, if you want to watch this, it's on HBO Max. It's an hour and twenty. It's somewhere around in there. Twenty six, ninety four, ninety six minutes, something right. like that. It's. Um, I am glad to have seen it. Oh, I am too. And I will probably revisit it at some point. Um, but it is very bleak. It is very preachy. I like the the way the various ghosts are presented. Yeah. Uh, because the first one, and showing my age here, um, Steve Lawrence is the ghost of Christmas Past. Yeah, and we used to see him a lot showing up like on as a guest star on Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett, he uh, he and his wife Edie Gourmet were a, a cabaret act in Las Vegas uh, back in the good old days when the mob ran the place. Oh gosh! And um, you know they again were on uh, the Carol Burnett show. They did a lot of game show stuff. Yeah, especially as they got a little older, um, they released a bunch of albums. Um, I'm trying to remember. Edie Gourmet has a song that um, maybe that man of mine. I don't know. It's some big bombastic kind of uh, torch song. And <laughs> way back in the past, when I worked for a guy who didn't know how to run a radio station yet was still doing it. One of one of more than one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Sorry. He had this very bizarre idea to mix all of these different form, all these different types of music within the hour. Uh, one of them was like you know big band or big band and singer uh, music along with um, light country and AC adult contemporary. Yeah. It was a catastrophe, but I did discover this um, um, this one song by her that that I played a couple of times uh, over the course of that failed experiment, and it was like, wow, this lady's got pipes, and it's and it's she's got so much power in her voice. I'm trying to find what I think you might be talking about but I, I, it's been it's been since before 
It's been since before we were married that I heard this song. Yeah. And that's how long it's been. And I haven't heard it since. So, um, but, um, yeah. Um, She's listed on Wikipedia as American pop singer, chanteuse, and comic actress. Well, yeah, she was I, all of that. I think, yeah, I think that's fair. Chanteuse is not a word that gets used a whole lot. Uh, no. Anyway. Uh, but Steve Lawrence plays the, the ghost of Christmas past. He's on a um, convoy ship that is filled with the bodies of the dead, not only from you know the most recent war, but all the wars of the past. Well, all the wars of the 20th century. And uh, I think it went back further than that, because he mentions Napoleon, I'm pretty sure. They're mentioned. So, but there's, and there's this unending line of ships filled with war dead. We don't see it exactly, but uh, Grudge sees it. He mm-hmm. looks out into the fog and, and there's just ship after ship after ship. And he tries to justify the need uh, for, for war um, to, you know, to they should have stayed on their side of the fence and so on and so forth. Um, and, and I like the way, you know, and granted, a lot of the slang and, you know... True. The dialogue is dated. Very dated. But... But the way he it does it... Yes. He's... Um, of course, the ghost of Christmas past is usually, at least in a traditional um, uh, retelling of... Uh, a Christmas Carol is somebody who is very small and meek, often and portrayed by a youngish female, youngish female, um, or a very androgynous Joel Gray in right. one retelling. Um, so he's uh, that ghost is 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 normally presented very differently. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I liked I liked what they did. I liked this imagining with yes. going to the past. Pat Hingle, who whose name you may not know, but whose face and voice you would definitely definitely recognize, mm-hmm. is a pretty true to uh, true to the tellings version of Ghost of Christmas Present. Mm-hmm. He's sitting at this enormous table, um, trying to get Grudge to eat. You know, leg of lamb, leg of turkey. Yeah. you know, just and he's gluttony, gluttony, gluttony. And, and, but he says he's. He can never be filled, but he's always, I mean, uh, but he's always stuffed. You know, he's never satiated. The the paradoxes of living in a world where there is too much and not enough, Mm -hmm. simply because it's not evenly distributed. And they they talk about displaced people, and and he runs, he rattles off a bunch of numbers, 10 million Displaced. Uh, displaced. He talks about how many hundreds of thousands or millions have tuberculosis. He talks about displaced and homeless. Mm-hmm. He, um, and those, that bit of monologue from Pat Hingle was chilling because yeah. so much of it is still, still true. We're not, we're no better than we were. Um, the, the, numbers just, the numbers the are numbers just bigger. The numbers are just bigger. Um, and then he goes to Christmas Future. And um, I was like, I know that voice. Yeah. Who was the ghost of Christmas future yet to come? And it was um, actor Robert Shaw. Robert Shaw, who 
played the memorable uh, fishing boat captain in Jaws. Um, Actor Robert Shaw, not to be confused with choral conductor and orchestral conductor Robert Shaw, who's a different bird. I would have never made that mistake. But thank you for pointing it out for those who might. Um, The future retelling is stark and absurd Mm -hmm. and not that far off the mark, really. Well, uh, well. When we see Peter Sellers in his character show up. Peter Sellers shows up as a kind of cult leader. The Imperial Me. The Imperial Me, who uh, wants to go across um, t- across the river and past the fence to kill those people over there because they are not me. Like us. Yes, they're not they me. They are different. Um, and there's one voice of reason, and it's uh, Grudge's butler. Yeah. Uh, and his wife, the housekeeper, and he pays a price for espousing a a view that is different from what the imperial me is saying. And then the imperial me shows himself for what he plans on doing. This kind of reminded me of the stand. A little bit. Um, because the leader of this group is promising, you know, we're going to be taken care of, everything will be great, you just have to follow me. You just have to do everything I say. But then... Then when he's being taken out in his whatever... On his little sedan chair carried by minions. Four football players. Yeah. Or guys in football uh, jerseys, anyway. Uh, he, he reveals that his ultimate plan is to be the only person left alive, and the crowd roars. The only me. <laughs> All of the other little individual me's who are following the imperial me will be wiped out. Yes, because they'll kill each other. And then the last one will kill itself. Sort of a very perverse survival of the fittest. Yes. Um, It's... And... This is the one that really goes in a very different direction. I mean, the whole production goes in a very different direction from A Christmas Carol. But this one, this this third vignette, uh, really makes a sharp turn. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, where, you know, the the survivors after a war, we assume nuclear, uh, are uh, all huddled together in this, what used to be the community center, but, you know, after a while they didn't need the community in- center anymore because nobody no would talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, and now it's just a, a bombed out shell. And this guy... This quick talker who, you know, is played by Peter Sellers, um, has has found a group of people that are willing to sub suppress their own feelings and thoughts and ideas for somebody that will lead them. Uh, and his plan is is to kill everybody. And they and they're all for it. This road to perdition. Um, Familiar match? <laughs> yeah, a little bit. 
little uh, bit. Like, so like I said, if I had watched this a year ago, I would have been immensely triggered and traumatized and probably wouldn't sleep for a week. Well, yeah. Uh, it's, it is both uh, an indictment of um, the military-industrial complex, uh, those that see uh, force and war as the only way to to settle a conflict mm -hmm. between people or between nations, um, and you know, um, fifty sixty years ago, yeah, they were talking about the end of capitalism how capitalism does not serve the most people yeah does not make sure um, that everyone is taken care of everyone is fed everyone is housed um, and that a just society would not you know w would do better than capitalism as a system yeah um, granted that is, uh, that was a r very radical idea then. Uh, had they had a blacklist in 64, Serling would have been on it probably prior to that. Uh -huh. um, and it is um, considered a radical idea now, the bugaboo of socialism and communism. And yeah. I, I dare you to ask anybody who throws those words around what they really mean, because they probably can't tell you. Uh, but they've heard somebody on TV say it. Or radio or wherever. Yeah, wherever. Some uh, pundit. So, you know, it's... Um, things have not changed, and if anything, we've regressed uh, since 1964 when this came out. Um, we'll give you our ratings and uh, discuss more of A Carol for a, Another Christmas right after this. Welcome back to Comedy, Tragedy, Marriage. We watched uh, A Carol for Another Christmas, a 1964 TV movie uh, written by Rod Serling. Um, and it has a very pointed message about, um, about war and capitalism and every other evil or thing perceived as evil um, in the world both then and now. Um, it was not terribly popular when it came out. What a surprise. <laughs> I'm shocked, I say. Simply uh, shocked. Following its original 1964 broadcast, according to its page on Wikipedia, reviews were mixed. While some critics thought the program's lecturing style was appropriate to get its message across to a mass TV audience, others found it preachy, long-winded, or dull, and I have to agree with both of those sentiments. Uh, it is a bit preachy. Um, oh yeah, it's heavy-handed. And um, you know, even in the cheapest version, the or the oldest version of A Christmas Carol, there's at least a little flying, and <laughs> we don't get that here. No. Um. Um. The Los Angeles Times expressed disappointment with the windy, tedious play, complaining that it was more tracked than drama, 
and saying the opening scene between Grudge and Fred sounded like the North Hollywood High School Debating Society and must have cost the play many a bored viewer to turn it off. The New York Times went further, calling Carol, uh, Carol for another Christmas, a pretentious and wearing exercise in garrulous ineptitude, one of the more dismaying TV disappointments in several seasons. Um, he got some letters arguing against that point of view, the reviewer, uh, Jack Gould, in the New York Times. Uh, Gould wrote a second opinion piece calling the film condescending, pretentious, and dull. Uh, well, so. okay then. <laughs> um, platitudinous propaganda and an exercise in heavy-handed sermonizing that the UN is good for uh, that the UN is good for you. Okay. Uh, but the Washington Post printed a generally positive review, but wrote that the film failed because to most of the audience, the lesson has been uh, that was being stressed has already been learned. Yeah, uh, not so much. Uh, but despite its. Um, the complaints about it. It was nominated for a couple of awards for the 17th Primetime Emmys. Hmm. Didn't it didn't win, win either of them, but uh, uh, Best Art Direction or Scenic Design and Outstanding Program Achievements in Entertainment. They've changed a lot of those yeah. names since then. And you talked about how it hadn't been rebroadcast until... 2012. Right. So, tell me. What do you think of A Carol for Another Christmas? I'm a little torn. Mm-hmm. Um, As am I. But I think rather than split my rating, I'm just going to give it four nuclear bombs. <laughs> and um, simply, the only reason it loses a point is is because it 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 is so heavy-handed. Yes. But um, for content, um, I think that Serling was brilliant. And um, just for the the way that it was shot and designed and the way it looks um, is, um, to me, was very effective. Um, Like I said, I'm glad to have seen this and I will revisit it in the future. I am going to <clears throat> give it two and a half uh, nuclear devices. Um, even at the end, when he's supposed to be redeemed, it's not the sort of, you know, full redemption that we're looking for. It's not the miraculous. It's, it's almost like he's he's going to consider changing his mind, which even... You know, from before, he he wouldn't at all about his views on everything. But it's it's more of a, eh, we'll see. Well, and I think that that is as much miracle in this retelling as we can hope for simply because um, so much of the the emphasis was on if we just talk and listen to each other, mm-hmm. maybe things can change. Mm-hmm. And so his willingness to at least entertain um, nephew Fred's point of view mm-hmm. is quite something at this point. 
It's uh, it's something that should be seen, I think. It's but it's not. If you're looking for something uplifting for Christmas, this is not this it. This ain't it. No. So, um, care. It's it's still better than freaking Santa Claus the movie. <laughs> Which well, you subjected yeah. me to last week, so. and I'm I, and again, I'm sorry. <laughs> I had positive feelings about that movie until I watched it all the way through. Um, and yeah, you're right; it was a piece of trash. So, uh, what else have you been watching? Tis the season for sentimental Maud to revisit some things that she likes because she knows if it ain't broke, you don't have to fix it. So um, there are a couple of old holiday TV movies that I like to go back and revisit this time of year. And I finished one this afternoon, which was originally um, broadcast on Lifetime. Mm -hmm. And um, it was from 1999. It's called If You Believe. And it is, um, it stars Allie Walker and a young, sparkling, adorable Hayden Panettiere when she was still a child. and Tom Amandez, who I first um, was exposed to because he played Elliot Ness on a mid-90s version of a syndicated television series uh, called The Untouchables, right. which was about Elliot Ness and his right. his band of merry men. It was essentially a redo of, of the original mm-hmm. Untouchables. And of the movies, um, the movie. Um, Tom Amandez is a modern day kind of doppelganger for Jimmy Stewart. The resemblance is remarkable and it's actually mentioned in the movie that this character he plays, he looks like Jimmy Stewart, come on, what's not to like? Um, And it's, and yes, oh my gosh, yes. Ali Walker portrays Susan Stone. She is a jaded editor at a large big city publishing house and she um, was quite the wonderkind and in the last few years um, her her writers have kind of imploded on themselves. She's got one who's brilliant whose name is Dilly but he's profoundly depressed and hasn't written anything new in a very long time. She's got another writer named Jack who has yet to write a page of anything on his book, but is asking for more and more advance money while he gallivants all over the globe. Mm-hmm. Um, she has no social life, no romantic life, um, and is her version of kind of a modern day Scrooge. Um, you know, don't, don't, she talks to her brother Bob who has too many kids his wife died young he's a teacher loves his life loves his job but he doesn't have two nickels to rub together and she's all like you know how can you be this happy when your life is like this well obviously it's he's the Bob Cratchit yeah. of this and she's the Scrooge and she's the Scrooge um, Hayden Panettiere plays both um, Susan Stone's niece Alice who is her brother Bob's youngest child mm-hmm. who still believes in Santa Claus mm-hmm. and um, Susan Stone's character um, throws mashed potatoes all over that and it, it becomes a big conflict early in the film mm-hmm. um, Hayden Panettiere shows up again after Susan Stone falls on the sidewalk and hits her head and 
um, Hayden Panettiere shows up as Susan Stone, age seven. Ah. Her inner child. Mm. Of course, nobody can see the inner child except for adult Susan Stone. Um, enter Tom Amandes, who is a, a an aspiring author discovered by Susan's assistant, Robin, and um, he has submitted this like 750-page epic that needs to be sliced and diced and hacked mm-hmm. um, in order for it to be a worthwhile book. Um, Susan and Tom meet over lunch. She suggests that he, you know, do away with the book's title and cut half the content. And he's like, no, you know, that's not going to work for me. So, um, but eventually they do end up working together and um, there's romance and chemistry and, and, you know, she goes to work um, with him for a couple of weeks in his small, beautiful, picturesque, old-fashioned town in Connecticut where there's an old-fashioned tree lighting and he plays trombone in the band. Oh, Lord. It sounds... It sounds vapid. It, it does. It absolutely does. But it's really sweet and well. very well done, well acted, well written. Um, and it's obviously, I think it's good because I revisit it year after year after year. And this year I revisited it on imdb.com. Okay. Um, it's good. Um, it, yeah, all she needed was a the right man to come along and show her the way. No, it's really much more than that. I'm, I'm sure it is. It, it is. But just from this description, it's the right man has come along and shown her the way. Um, no. When does the little girl disappear? Um, I'll have to watch it to find yes, it. Yes, when, <laughs> when her heart opens enough to... It's not really the man showing her the way, it's her inner child reminding her of the gutsy, gumptiony um I don't think that's a word. It is now. Okay. Of the gutsy, gumptiony um person that Susan used to be before she married Peter and Peter was the wrong man and he like stifled every bit of independence and sparkle that she had. So no, it's not the right man coming along. It is her listening to her inner child finally that comes along that opens her up and um, helps her have her own moment of transformation so to speak the fact that the right man does come along and that he looks like jimmy stewart is i mean you know that doesn't hurt things at all (laughs) this is a stark contrast to a um, current lifetime movie christmas release called a very vintage christmas Uh with um tia maori um who's perfectly fine and um this really pretty romantic lead name the actor's name is jesse hutch i think he's very self-consciously beautiful Mm. and um when all else um when all else fails in a scene just flash those pearly whites (laughs) and you know um this was a vapid piece of crap (laughs) um and it's also a lifetime. It's movie? also it's a current lifetime. Current movie. lifetime. Movie. Uh, okay. It's like from either this year, or from twenty 2020 twenty or twenty nineteen. It's it's recent. Um, it's it it's a story that has a lot of promise. Um, Tia Maori's character and her friend open up a vintage store in a picturesque little town, and um, you know they're trying to um, make 
make their business go. Mm-hmm. And Tia Mallory's not in a relationship place right now. She mm-hmm. needs to make her business go. And um, th- what's promising about the story is the emphasis that she puts on. It's not just the items that they sell. It's the stories behind the objects that they sell. Mm-hmm. And I'm a big believer in that whole philosophy. Like I have... Um, my granny's antique diamond wedding set, which the stones are gorgeous. I also have my granny's antique rolling pin and flower sifter. And I assign just as much value to those items as I do to the wedding rings because it's the stories behind the things that give them meaning and mm-hmm. and make them valuable. Mm-hmm. So I'm very I'm very attuned to that whole philosophy part of the story. All of that being said, eh, eh this was a vapid piece of crap. <laughs> so um that's that that is what I have watched. I may have mentioned it on a recent podcast or not, but there's another Christmas movie, this one from Hallmark Hall of Fame. Um, from 2003 called Fallen Angel with Gary Sinise and Jolie Richardson. Um, this is another one I revisit annually because it's good. Um, it has a lot of the formulaic, formulaic elements, you know. Picturesque small town? Picturesque small town. Um, Gary Sinise plays a high-powered some kind of executive. I think it's lawyer, but it's mm. I don't really know for sure, but... Um, his father, with whom there is a conflicted estrangement, mm-hmm. um, dies. And so he has to go back to this little town in Maine and um, close up his dad's affairs. Well, his dad has been the caretaker for this group of little holiday cottages where rich, fancy people would come from the big city and spend their summers or their Christmases or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, he meets... Um, he b- meets and becomes reacquainted with a little girl he knew when he was a boy there in Maine. Um, and there's a there's a long um, sort of complicated story that's attached to this little girl slash um, new adult woman mm-hmm. that he meets. Mm-hmm. Um, he also meets her little adopted daughter who is delightful. And um, it's just, it's a good story. There's, um, you have a lot to sink your teeth into here. We deal with um, themes of brokenness, redemption, um, self-loathing, homelessness, and um, the ultimate, um, the ultimate triumph of love and family. So this is um, Fallen Angel. It was originally a Hallmark Hall of Fame production. and again, I think I may have found this on um, HBO Max. But just Google Fallen Angel, mm-hmm. Gary Sinise, and mm-hmm. you'll be able to find it. Uh, and in keeping with the holiday spirit, we watched a serial killer, or a suspected serial killer documentary. It, it is. It was really good, actually. Yeah, it, it, we enjoyed it. Well, enjoyed. Okay, well, I've gone over that before. Yeah. Uh, the Hunt for the Chicago Strangler. Since the early 2000s, up to now, there have been like 51 women killed in Chicago. Manner of, of cause of death was strangulation, asphyxiation. Almost in each, all of them. In almost all the cases, many cases included an element of sexual assault. Mm-hmm. And these women were all dumped in dumpsters, alleys, vacant lots, garbage cans, mm-hmm. just 
literally discarded like refuse. And there is a, uh, a, um, a guy who has developed an algorithm that looks for clusters of unsolved murders and then compares, you know, the victim, the manner of death, you know, so on and so forth, uh, to look for the possibility, it isn't guaranteed, but the possibility that a serial killer is working in a community or a city. And this is like this is a brilliant piece of um, of technology mm-hmm. for criminal profiling. It really is. It's a marvel. And it's relatively recent. Yes. Um, it found that a series of murders in Gary, Indiana, were a serial killer. Uh, the Gary, Indiana police didn't pay that any mind and then they just happened to catch the guy who was responsible for all the murders uh-huh. uh, that that the algorithm noted as a cluster. Now this many murders over this period of time and there is a, a variety of victim types. There are African American women, there's white women, there are Hispanics, or Latinx, I, I don't By know. and large, the 75% of the victims have been African-American women, mm-hmm. um, w- wide-ranging ages, though. Right. And um, that last 25% are the Caucasian Latinx women. And uh, this, you know, the family, the majority of them, huge majority of them are unsolved. Um, and the the families are outraged because the police haven't found the person who did this. Person or persons. Right, because the guy with the algorithm thinks that it could be um, up to three different serial killers working in, like, one does it for may be responsible for a group of them uh-huh. and then either goes to prison or dies or moves to a new area and then somebody else is killing women. You know, uh, he thinks two of them are African American and one one of them is 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 Caucasian. Um, Simply because of the variety. Statistics, um, statistics support that um, serial killers tend to kill their own ethnicity within their own race so and but near in, in it's, it's three episodes um, and in the third episode one of the murders is solved one and it is the boyfriend of the the victim so that leads to an equally chilling possibility it may not be various serial killers. It may be 51 individuals, Ugh. which is scary enough. Um, so, you know, if, if you are into true crime and, um, and it isn't exploitative, um, it's, um, talk, and they talk with the families, uh, and they talk with the police, um, and, it's it's it is not graphic or um, gory in any way. No, the statistics are frightening enough. Exactly. 
So if you would be interested in that, uh, it is on Discovery Plus, and it is called The Hunt for the Chicago Strangler. Of course, we're still watching Animaniacs. Yes! Uh, because we have widely varying tastes. Uh, there we're also checking out uh, The Wheel of Time on yes. Amazon. And... And I've um, not read any of the books right. in this cycle, so right. I have nothing to compare this to. Um, I have a friend who is very well acquainted with the books, and um, he says that, you know, he's enjoying the series, but the jury's still out. Well, and look, as I've said before, when people complained about Harry Potter movies and, and any book that gets transformed into um, a movie or TV show. The movie in your head reading the book is always going to be better than any visual presentation. Yeah, and generally. Unless you want a, you know, 14 and a half hour movie with lots of voiceover as they, you know, give their thoughts in their head um, as you can read on the page, um, then, you know, there's going to be some things that get left out, things that, that get changed, characters that get merged, whatever. Uh, so you just, you just have to deal with, with changes from the page to the screen. So that's, that's my... Uh, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Yeah, I've been enjoying it, though. And that, granted, this is not, you know, this is not a Star Trek kind of universe. It's not... Well, it's a sword and sorcery kind of universe. It's, yeah, it's a sword and sorcery kind of thing. It's like, um, it's not boobs and dragons, because we haven't had boobs, and we haven't really had dragons. Although... We've had Trollocs, and they're kind of gross, and... Well, yeah. They're a weird sort of life and, and, form. And fades. And fades. Um, I've been enjoying it, so. Yes. so yeah, I, I have as well. So that's on Amazon Prime. Uh, also, Discover Star Trek Discovery, which is on Paramount Plus. Uh -huh. um, enjoying this new season. Uh, I just like it. Uh, I know people complain about how the Discovery has these uh, season-long stories, and instead of being episodic. Eh, whatever. Which, if you want episodic, you've got, you know, Star Trek Lower Decks. Lower Decks. Uh, but when Strange New Worlds comes out uh, next year, uh, that will be more in the style of the original series. In more that Monster of the Week. It, well, Monster or Alien or uh, Anomaly yeah. or whatever of the week. So, you know... It, that might I, be your jam. I, I like both ways because I'm getting Trek on TV yeah. every week. So I'm very happy about that. Um, Next week's and, your and turn. And Hawkeye. And Hawkeye, yes. Been, been continuing watching Hawkeye. Digging the so. Hawkeye. Yeah. Well, we, we have... Uh, we, we like to have at least one thing that's weekly that we can watch and like invest ourselves in and, and then... Otherwise, we're just scrolling whatever queue we on whatever app we happen to be on, and it can be quite frustrating. But knowing that we've got things in in you know in the chamber, 
is is good. And things that we can agree on and both watch because yes. a lot of what he watches, I snooze through. Well. And um, I don't really watch all that much by myself. Mm-hmm. So Lifetime and Hallmark movies at this time of year notwithstanding. Yeah. Anyway, next week is your turn. Do you yes. have any idea? Uh, no, I do not. Okay. But I will uh, peruse and see what I can find. It will be holiday related. Okay. I can guarantee you that. There's not that many holiday movies that I really, really like. Um, and the only reason I chose last week's piece of trash is Ooh. because I had a deep emotional you had reaction feels. to it. And now you don't. And oh, no. <laughs> Well, they've gone in the complete opposite direction. I I, I went from uh, you know tears and warm holiday feelings to a fair amount of revulsion. So you know that's uh, that's anyway. I'll, I'll look for something. Uh, I don't. I I won't put you through yet another version of the Christmas Carol. Um, you know, I'm fine with that. Well, I'm, I meant the them, oh, the, the royal podcast them. people. Yes, all seven of them. I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I won't do that to you. Maybe next year we'll we'll watch other versions of a Christmas Carol. But I think we've pretty much seen all the really good ones. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that is going to take care of it for this week. Thank you very much for uh, subscribing, downloading listening please rate and review us uh, on whatever podcast app you use if you would go to apple podcasts and give us a five-star rating and review there that would be very helpful share us with all your friends on your social medias uh at ct marriage on twitter uh i'm uh at movie man stan also on twitter and if you have a suggestion for something you want us to watch just send it to us via email. You can send that uh, with the name of what it is you want us to watch, the reason you want us to watch it, and where we can find it. Send that to comedy tragedy marriage at gmail.com. You can also give us that information via the voice message link in the description of this episode. Next week's my turn. Having a clue. Uh, but we'll all be surprised together. But until then, love you. Love you. And later. later. Yay!